Welcome to another episode of UpTo. Eight years ago, UpTo started as a live event series showcasing leaders who are as humble as they are successful. The humility piece is extremely important as we identify leaders who can inspire others. We try to focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives and in doing so, have found there is a real thirst to explore their hearts and minds in atypical ways. Our host, as always, is Adam Kaufman, and our guest today is Ted Suter. Right now, you're listening to the Up To Podcast. We'll be right back. Hello, my name is Adam Kaufman, and I'm thankful you're joining us today on the Up To Podcast. I want to tell you about a group that I'm grateful for, and that is Town Hall, Cleveland's most popular restaurant, and one that I can say is the only place my wife tells me she can eat every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Town Hall was the first all-non-GMO restaurant in the U.S. a few years ago, and they're now expanding into Columbus, Ohio soon. I'm also very selective about who we choose to partner with for this podcast, and it was with open arms that I embraced the idea of partnering with Bobby George and Town Hall. To learn more about what they're up to, you can visit townhallohiocity.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Up To Podcast. Here's your host, Adam Kaufman. Our guest today is Ted Suter, a nearly 20-year veteran of Google, one of the world's largest and well-known companies. Ted's the head of Google's retail industry business, leading the search engine's relationships with all of the big box retailers like Home Depot and Costco and places we all shop, and he helps these consumer companies leverage technology. Beyond Google, Ted's also personally involved in technology as an advisor, as an investor, and he's on the board of 1871, the highly regarded startup incubator recently ranked number one in the world. He's also a partner with the Summit of Minds, an annual ideas conference in Chamonix, France, bringing together policymakers and thought leaders each September, which is incidentally where we first met. He and his wife live in Chicago. They have two teenage children. Ted's truly a global citizen, which is one of the reasons I really enjoy hearing his perspective on trends in business and behavior and all things tech. I actually consider Ted a futurist. Now, he doesn't put that anywhere in his bio that I could find, but every time I've seen one of his talks or when I speak with him personally, I'm learning about something that is just around the corner, and he seems to always be right. And that's why I'm so pleased that he's agreed to spend some of his valuable time with us today. Ted Suter, welcome to the Up To podcast. What have you been up to? Well, first off, Adam, thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor to be here. I I know that you're such a pro in the podcasting space, so to be invited to spend a little bit of time with you is a real joy for me. And with, you know, with regards to what I've been up to, it's, it's, it's kind of a strange question in today's environment. And you know what I've been up to? I've been helping my kids and my family kind of settle into this interesting new normal that we're finding ourselves in, mm-hmm. whether it's distance learning, which our kids are engaged in today, or figuring out how we're going to spend the summer now that summer camp has been canceled. Right. And also trying to explain to the kids why it's important to listen to the data, listen to the scientists, and to take these sorts of episodes seriously because it really matters. And our kids are 14 and 12, and they've been really mature. Mm-hmm. They've been great troopers. And it's been, a, it's been a really interesting learning experience for all. Now, we are recording this conversation 
after 12 weeks of various levels of stay at home, and it was during the wrap-up of the school year, we have a couple teenage kids at home, but already their homework is beyond my ability to help them very much. <laughs> have you spent much time on that, or is it more Mrs. Souter's role? So let me take that a step further. Our kids actually attend the French school here in town. Mm-hmm. And so their capabilities with linguistics is way beyond our ability to help. So we we grew out of helping on homework uh, a number of years ago. <laughs> well, you must have our mutual friend, Philippe Bourguignon, on, on speed dial then, because I'm sure he, he's a great tutor for uh, your children. Absolutely, absolutely. He's an up to alumnus as well. We had him on uh, last season. His was a great episode. And interestingly enough, I was actually on a webinar that Philippe put on with the former president of Costa Rica mm. uh, about an hour and a half ago. So funny you brought his name up. He's a great, great friend and mentor to us both. Awesome. Well, let's start off with the business side of things. You have been at Google. We're now getting into our 20th year, I believe. And can you explain what are you responsible for at Google? Our role is to help the biggest retailers in the U.S. right now make sense of what it means to become more digital. Mm-hmm. How do we help them with some of the more long-term products such as Google Search? So if you do a search for men's shoes, you'll see a number of different ads on the search results page. I've done that before. Yes, yeah. And we're thankful of that. <laughs> and what are you doing about your mobile strategy? How are you showing up on things like Waze and Google Maps? What are you doing about video content on YouTube? Mm-hmm. Advertisers today realize that there's been a huge change in how people start to consume content. And there's been a big shift over to video, which has been really interesting. But then we actually take it a step further. And if we need to help you with understanding artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities, we can bring in our cloud team or some of our data scientists helping you better understand insights and help you do analysis. So really it's it's helping these large, often more traditional companies make that transition to become more digital because at the end of the day, they're all a technology company. So like Home Depot, that was the company I mentioned at the beginning and I've been going there recently because we're actually moving as we speak. We're literally moving our homes. And I was thinking about this conversation with you today in the context of being in Home Depot. Is that an example of somebody you're trying to help to get more digital? Yeah. So Home Depot, Kohl's, Sears, Mm -hmm. if it's a large retailer, you name it, that's what our group helps out in the marketplace. And you, you mentioned Home Depot, who has been a real beneficiary of people working from home, people spending more time at home. So people want some of the some of the items that will help make their extended at home experience a little brighter. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, too, is that all of these companies have recognized the opportunity around enhancing their digital exposure, uh, driving people to things like curbside pickup, mm. and as these stores start to reopen you will find that, generally speaking, the in-store experience is going to be very different, whether there's from a safety uh, protection cleanliness standpoint or maybe one-way aisles. We see that at a lot of stores today. But things like curbside pickup will continue on into the future because it makes for a more convenient shopping Mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. And And safer. Yeah, and it's safer and it's easier, it's quicker. So we help our customers understand 
some of the data and insights around consumer behavior. What are people looking for when they go to the store? What's their basket size, et cetera? And we're going to find that retail is going to fundamentally change. And I'm not sure we're going back to the way that it used to be. Hmm. What that future change ultimately ends up looking like, not entirely sure. Right. But we are evolving literally on a daily basis. But you are a futurist in my mind, so I'm going to rely on you to help me and help our listeners <laughs> figure out what that looks like. But first, let's go back a couple of years. I remember one time you told me, and it was so surprising to me, that you were still amazed that so many companies you were working with were still slow to pivot to going online or reluctant to make some of these like marketing technology changes in their strategy. Are you still seeing that or is it now a rush because of COVID to um, you know, make these changes? So that change actually happened on, a, on and about March 13th. That's kind of like this stake in the ground day. That's, of when, that's interesting. Of when the world changed. Okay. And my good friend, Anne-Marie Slaughter from New America had a great op-ed in the New York Times a few weeks ago where she said, and I'm grossly paraphrasing here, the coronavirus has proven to be a time machine to the future. Mm-hmm. Pre-March 13th, businesses had some aspect of a pivot to being more digital on their long-term roadmap. Schools had it, businesses had it, athletic groups had it, etc. All of a sudden, when the world changed, digital all of a sudden moved up to be number one on everybody's list of priorities, list of investments, list of how to develop their infrastructure, because that was going to be the only way for them to connect with their customers right. or their community or their members. And so all of a sudden, everyone realized that we've got to make a huge investment in digital. Now, for a lot of companies, that means ramping up their marketing spend online. That's good for your business pursuits. Unfortunately, it's a silver lining, but are we now having shorter sales cycles, so to speak, for, for your particular work? So it really varies on an industry-by-industry industry basis. And what we're finding is that because the Google ecosystem is so vast and we're able to reach so many consumers. Yeah, Google's kind of big. I've heard of it. You know, we're out there on the web. You can find us, type in google.com. <laughs> so because they need to connect with their consumers or community in some fashion or another, and digital is just the way to do that. Mm -hmm. And the entire digital ecosystem is seeing that impact for sure. But on the flip side, when you have certain industries that are having a more difficult time like travel, for example, mm -hmm. all of a sudden now what people are doing online with regards to the travel industries is changing. So consumers were looking online at things that maybe they hadn't considered so much in the past. So a great example of that is now Americans are seeing an opportunity to maybe rediscover America. So searches on things like the national parks or RV rentals, et cetera, all of a sudden is this hot online topic. So those have increased. I didn't realize that. So like searching on parks in the U.S., a domestic focus for vacations. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you're going to see once all the parks are fully opened, you're going to see a real interest by travelers and consumers to go spend time in America, whether that's going to the national parks or going to small towns or renting RVs to drive cross country. There's going to be a huge move towards that. And 
And we, we were, I was talking to my wife who's in the travel business and we were talking about how glamping is going to be this hot trend for the summer. So maybe mm-hmm. keep an eye out for that. Well, actually, now that you are saying this, I am visualizing we have a rather large park within walking distance from my house. And now that the weather's warmer, it has been so crowded. So if that's a, a tiny illustration of what the national parks will be like, I, I can see how that would be true. Of course, being six feet away from each other or wearing a mask when you can't be. I know, I know. It's like we have to reserve a seat at a picnic table almost. It gets so crowded. But I've noticed in your career path, it seems like you're always an early adopter or you're willing to take a risk with something new, getting involved with AOL early on to help America literally go online, um, getting involved with Google really early on, Excited Home, some other things. Where do you think that, risk tolerance comes from in you? Is that something you were born with? Or where do you think this early adopter character trait of yours comes from? So I was born in, in Toledo, so not not too far from you there in Cleveland. Nice. And grew up in a very close-knit, uh, socially-minded, business-focused family. And I have a great experiences not only with having family members who have been entrepreneurs and, and investors and risk takers. My dad was that, my mom was that as well. Your dad was a risk taker? Yeah, I mean, he was, he was you know, first and foremost a, a family man, but he was someone who, who loved being outdoors with his family. He was a big skier. He always used to tell me that the best day ever is a day skiing with your family. Mm, so I see. Like to be able to do that. And Thrill seeker. Oh, a stockbroker. See, this helps me understand your DNA a little bit, learning these things. And so it was really nice for us to be able to to grow up in this wonderful close-knit family, to have great experiences around the world. And as I went off onto my own after college, when I was living in Denver, after I graduated from the University of Denver, I was at the Denver Business Journal, a print publication, and I was selling advertising, so doing a little bit of what I'm doing today. But that was 1993, 94, and that was when America Online really started to gain traction when people really started to go online commercially for the first time. Mm-hmm. And going online, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It said, this makes so much sense to me that I can connect with people or a news story or a sporting event or whatever the case may be in real time in this digital environment. I don't have to wait for the newspaper to print and come out a day later or a magazine weeks or a month later. It just made so much sense. So I left a great job at the Denver Business Journal to go to AOL so that I could be a part of this this movement to bring America online. Was that a a big move or was that an obvious choice to make? Did your friends think you were crazy? My mom thought I was crazy. Right. She's like, what's this internet thing? (laughs) Of course. And that that was kind of a a constant theme that went on throughout my career. it was hard because I had a great, a great role. I had great friends. It was a well-respected print publication in the front range of Colorado. And then to go to this unknown online environment was, was risky. But the nice thing is that I was young mm-hmm. and I didn't have a, a ton holding me down. I, could, I had a higher threshold for risk. I could do things. That you didn't a have like a, a big box. family obligation in terms of wife, kids. Right. didn't have a family at the time. Mm-hmm. I just had a lot of good friends and they're like, go for it. And I was shown this incredible 
world of opportunity that was online. Mm -hmm. I said, this is my career. Awesome. And that is where I've spent all of it since then. And I've been really, really lucky to be able to do the things that I love with companies that have generally done well. Not everyone has, has survived, of course. Right. That's entrepreneurship. But the online digital world is, is so expansive. There's so much opportunity. And we saw an interesting bubble with the internet companies in 99, 2000, 2001, that bubble burst, which we all know about. But then that spawned a whole nother group of great internet companies. And then we had the housing crisis in 2008 and 2009. That kind of weeded some companies out. But then that created a whole new age of digital opportunity. And I believe that right now we're going through that next 10 or so year cycle mm-hmm. where I think you're right. there's going to be challenging times ahead for many, for sure. Can't, can't set that aside. And whether that's from a health perspective or financial perspective with job loss, et cetera. But I do believe that on the back end of this, whether that's nine, 12, 18 months, 20 more, four months, whatever it will be, that there is going to be a new golden age of opportunity that every business now is going to have digital leading the conversation with their customers. And I think for new grads coming into the workplace over the coming years, I spoke to a group of high school students from Toledo a couple of weeks ago, and I said, listen, you guys are perfectly positioned because when you graduate in college in four years, you're going to be in a marketplace that I believe will be up and running again. There will be all sorts of new digital opportunities. And I think that, you know, after, after every storm, there is calm. And I think we're going to get there. You're listening to the Up To Podcast. We'll be right back. One of the aspects of podcasting I enjoy the most is the ability to delve into long-form discussions without any interruption other than a periodic commentary about one of our partners. I'm grateful that Calfee, Ohio-based law firm, has agreed to partner with us. They have offices throughout Ohio and also in Washington, D.C., in New York, and Indianapolis, too. They are a full-service firm, every type of legal need. One example I'll share right now, because so many of our listeners are entrepreneurs, is not too long ago, a friend of mine sold his company to a public corporation. And with that came some restrictions and ramifications on his future employment. And to navigate through that properly, he asked my advice. And without hesitation, I recommended Calfee because I knew they'd have the right type of specialist to help him with his particular needs. And my friend continues to rave about that experience. And I'm very grateful that Calfee has agreed to partner with Up2. So whether it's selling your own business or the more routine needs of creating your first will or anything in between, uh, this firm can really do it all in terms of legal needs. Once again, the firm is Calfee. You can find them at C-A-L-F-E-E.com or on the UpTo Foundation website. During the first season of the UpTo podcast, I had several companies and entrepreneurs approach me about potential partnerships, but I'm really selective before choosing to do something like that. One choice we did make happily is to partner with Vivid Front, a full-service digital marketing and website design agency based in Cleveland that works with both local and national brands. They've built their entire client base on referrals, 
and they've won a lot of awards, including the 2019 Inc. Magazine Top 5,000 Fastest Growing Companies, North Coast's Top Places to Work, and several others. They're known for their talent, they're known for their creativity, they're known for their culture, a firm I liked before we agreed to partner together for the show. Check out vividfront.com, or you can email me and I'll introduce you to their dynamic leader, Andrew Spott. Welcome back. You're listening to the Up To Podcast with Adam Kaufman. Today's guest, Ted Suter. I think these major economic uh, tumultuous times like the housing crisis and the 99 uh, internet bust, they do absolutely create new thinking and therefore new companies. Airbnb is a great example I like to share coming out of the housing bubble. But I also know that the risk that you find so natural isn't inside everybody. And one of the things, Ted, I've been surprised about, my biggest surprise of the podcast is up to listeners are a lot younger than I would have predicted. And they often tell me they love these life lessons that our guests like you share because they want to think about it at the beginning of their career. So if you could think about maybe folks a little bit older than that recent classroom you spoke with, uh, the 20-year-olds, even early 30-year-olds, how can you help them think about whether or not to take the risk into the earlier stage business versus the more staid, stable company? I know I'm getting older because I have a lot of my friends having me talk to their kids about, should I go work for Google? big, stable company, or a startup. And there are pros and cons to both. So what would you tell those, or what did you tell maybe that classroom? Because I'm, I'm finding those conversations to be uh, interesting but challenging. I'm, I'm not sure I, I know how to advise them. So I think it's a really, really personal question because some people have a really high tolerance for risk. The idea of going into the unknown or mm-hmm. something that is potentially less stable is what motivates them, it's, it's their energy. Other people really like the idea of comfort and stability right. and predictability, and that's okay too. There's no right answer. People have to do what is, in my mind, best for them. But on the flip side, we run into a situation often where what people deem is risky, i.e. maybe moving towards being more digital or investing in technology or changing the way your business is structured, getting rid of silos, changing compensation structures, that sort of thing. Often that's seen as a risk, but actually it's riskier by not making those types of changes. So let me give you an example. Today, we find that many businesses, and this is across industry, in that Historically, businesses are organized in silo. And let's look at it from like a marketing perspective. What do do you mean by silo? So you have a a team that's just focused on, say, digital marketing. Their specific responsibility. Yeah, specific responsibility. You have a team that's just focused on public relations and a team that's just focused on offline marketing and, and so on and so forth. We find so often that not, it's not common for these groups to talk to one another. Mm hmm. If these groups aren't talking to each other, then how are they going to move the company down the field? Well, we find that digital 
is now impacting what's happening offline. It's how people hear about you from a PR perspective. It's how the conversation happens on social channels. It's how people are reviewing your products that you sell on YouTube, for example. Digital touches every single aspect of the business. So if they're not all talking with one digital voice, then the company is not going to be as fluid and be able to react to things as quickly as they need to. And so what you're finding is a lot of pure play companies that are born of the web. So the, the companies that didn't have any physical locations, they were digital natives to begin with, and they're able to move fluidly down the path. Offline companies have a little harder time doing that. So we can sit with our customers and talk to them about, it's not a risk to rethink your structure internally. It's not a risk to change how you allocate budgets. It's not a risk to think about how you might change compensation structures, et cetera. So you're saying the potential new hire that we're trying to advise right now, if we could be so bold, it's a risk to consider working in companies that aren't thinking about these things. I think that's something to take into account. Yeah. How forward thinking are they? And like it's risky of Twitter to announce that all their employees can forever, not just right now, work from home. That's a risk, but they're being innovative. I think that's a really interesting announcement that we saw them make a week or two ago. And Do you think others will follow? I mean, there hasn't been a, a tidal wave of follow-on announcements like that, I've maybe one or two, but do you think that'll really impact what others decide to do? I, I do, actually. I know... Other, some other tech companies have shown a willingness to do that to, to varying degrees. But again, it's a risk because we've never done this on a, on a full-scale basis before. So what does it mean to not have everybody in an office together collaborating, whiteboarding, having a meal together, celebrating someone's life moment after work? There's pluses and minuses, I can imagine, on culture creation. I don't know. I feel like a lot of young people tell me they love working at home. I'm 49. I'm talking about people who are like 25, 28, half my age or, or close to it. They seem to like being mobile, not just working from home, but work anywhere. That's for sure a trend that we have seen grow over the years. And it, again, it's a very personal type of decision. Some people thrive in group mm -hmm. settings. Some people thrive being alone with headphones on. Right. It'll be interesting once things start to normalize, whatever that mm -hmm. means, mm -hmm. to see the decisions that companies make and to see the response from not only existing workers, but also future workers who are entering the workforce because they are going to be joining a work world that is very, very different than what we experienced last year, what their parents experienced and, and others. And I think, I think that's exciting. It's that kind of change and it's that kind of move forward that excites me. I think change is good. Yeah, I think that it's all still yet to be determined. But like I know in my own life, I'm thinking about the return to normalcy. My normalcy was traveling half the time. And I enjoyed that. I thrive mm -hmm. traveling. And you're quite the traveler as well. I know you're asked to speak or attend uh, events all over the world and your business also has you traveling a lot. Your wife has a company that does touring in Africa, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So have you thought how any of the temporary 
mode we're in now might become permanent? Are there any changes in your life right now that you think will have some staying power for the better or for worse? Well, I sure miss being with people. I know. <laughs> I sure miss traveling. But on the back end, we will, we will pivot and industries will figure out new ways to bring people together. I personally don't believe that conferences go away. Mm, I don't either. I, I think it might be a little bit of time until people are excited about uh, being with 300 people again in, in any setting. But I think that 2021, you will start to see that start to come back together again, as long as organizers can find a way for people to be healthy, to be comfortable. There's a lot of people who are just not going to be okay with being in a group setting like that. And, and that's okay too. So how can we, how can we mix up this world? And this is why I think it's been so interesting as to how so many entities have made this pivot to be able to keep these kind of conversations alive. So for example, I'm on the board of the Economic Club of Chicago, and our business is built on convening small groups and convening 2,000 people in a ballroom to hear someone like Bono or Barack Obama speak. That, mm -hmm. That's what the business is built on. And all of a sudden, for the rest of the year at least, there is no convening in person. So the club, an almost 100-year-old organization, had to make an immediate pivot to offering online content so that we could retain interest in being a member, so that we could also continue to find new ways for young new members to join, to find ways to remain relevant out in the broader business community and, and political world and all of that. So we're not, we weren't necessarily set up to do that. Right. You're pursuing stickiness. You want to keep your arms tightly around the stakeholders, whether they're members or donors. Is that working, that particular initiative, it, going online at the Economic Club of Chicago? Are you getting interest? Oh, yeah. It's been very successful. And we're really encouraged by our ability to bring in our members and engage mm -hmm. with us. It's also proving to be somewhat easier to get speakers to engage with us because they don't have to travel. Now they can spend 45 minutes with us over whatever video platform that we're using. And that's a good experience too. Yeah, I've seen the positives of that. Like in my own uh, household, my wife teaches yoga and she would normally go to a studio and teach her sanctified yoga. And there might be between 15 and 25 uh, attendees on a given evening. But now because of the virtual opportunity and it's national with in her case, Facebook Live, she'll have 30 or 40 attending and you know, practicing yoga with her. So I can only imagine the potential scale when we're talking about large organizations. But Adam, you bring up such a great example. So all of a sudden, your wife could have said, well, that's the end of my business. And to put the yoga mat in the closet and to think of something else to do. But no, she took what many would perceive as being a risk and saying, you know what, mm -hmm. we're going to offer this content and this experience online. And there's a lot of people in your wife's situation doing the same thing, and they're even charging for it. Right. Who, who would have thought that you could charge for an online yoga class or an online core workout program or whatever the case may be? Those are the types of risks that people need to think about. It's not a risk. It's an actual opportunity. I think the biggest risk is, is not thinking this through or not asking yourself, what if? What, you know what, 
What if people are willing to put their phone in the corner and film themselves while working out? I mean, Isn't that amazing? On, so great. I know. I know. I mean, I feel bad for our friends who run health clubs, but that's the, the balance. We'll figure out what the new normal looks like. Let's move ahead. Think forward. Let's be optimistic. You're always optimistic whenever I talk to you, by the way. But optimistically, let's go back into the future, so to speak. And we're post-COVID worries. It's medium and long term. Are there new industries that you're thinking about or new trends that are captivating you right now that you want to start to watch closer and to maybe help you think about it? Like for me, it was the whole idea of ghost kitchens, which Uber founder Travis Callan got into before the pandemic, but now it's really growing that subset of the food delivery business. So is there anything that's really interesting you right now as we think about medium and long term? Yeah. So the idea of sheltering in place, being at home, whatever that looks like for you has, I believe, had a material impact not only on our physical well-being, but our mental well-being. I think there is a huge focus on how can people help themselves during a challenging time like this. I look back when I was living in San Francisco many, many years ago, and I was living in a tiny, tiny, tiny little studio apartment and thinking about what it would be like to be sheltering in place, working from home in this tiny, tiny, tiny little studio apartment that many people are living in today. Like, that's really, really hard. So how do you attend to yourself? How do you think about your mental well-being? And the thing that I love is that the digital platforms that are out there are the perfect conduit and platform for people to take better care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to see a real focus on businesses not only changing their overall structure, but offering well-being services to their employees, to customers, et cetera. And as human beings, we need to be more proactive in taking care of ourselves. And you see it from the number of great mindfulness app, apps that are out there like Headspace and whatnot. You've got the huge explosion of growth with Peloton. People understanding that if I'm going to be at home, I've, I've got to figure out exercise one way or another just to help keep myself healthy. And so any kind of company that is focusing on, on health, wellness, mindfulness, et cetera, I think is going to be a real, uh, a real opportunity uh, moving forward. I think there's going to be an, an interesting focus on companies like Airbnb, companies that offer a more personal, customized experience when traveling as opposed to being in a large hotel. Hotel rooms. Yeah. I think there's something really interesting there. I think there's going to be a lot of focus on apps for the phone that reduce touch points in a lot of, in a lot of respects. So whether it is growth in online currencies, growth in the ability to have touchless shopping, stores where there's touchless checkout, I think will be a real opportunity moving forward. So when you say touch points, not just engagement in workflow, but literally touch points, the phone user touching less things because of some app enabling them to shop without going through the checkout line. Yeah. Okay. 
That's interesting. We're, we're seeing a lot of a lot of interest in reducing friction. And before, friction meant time. Friction meant right. That's what I was saying. That workflow friction. But now, touching is a big mm-hmm. topic of conversation as well, and that will, in my mind, help many businesses become more comfortable with bringing consumers. And I think customers will be appreciative of that. And I think we'll get to a certain norm in the future where, you know, do checkout lines go away? And cashiers? Maybe, maybe that's a role change. And so instead of cashiers doing what they classically have been doing today, maybe there's a new role and a new opportunity for them in the future. A minute ago, you mentioned mindfulness a couple of times, and I planned on asking you today, like, how have you been doing? I know you've been busy uh, at home helping the family adapt to stay at home, but how have you done with the inevitable alone time, which is probably greater? Uh, Some folks struggle with, some enjoy solitude. How have you been doing with that during this unusual time? So I like often to just be alone, to have my own time to think or to work or to read. I I tend to get up very early in the morning, well before everyone else in the house. Me too. I love that. It's my favorite time of the day. You know, there's no, you don't have any meetings, the phone's not ringing, you're not, you're not distracted. And that is usually my time to have a cup of coffee or two. I do, I make celery juices in the morning and green juices, and I'll do a workout in the morning. I'll read news articles, I'll catch up on things. And that is like this opportunity for me to just kind of center around myself, to be quiet, to think, to not not necessarily plan my day. I don't sit there with a calendar saying from one to two, I'm going to do this. But it's just an opportunity, I think, to have that time. Because then 7.20 is kind of my time. My wife will come down and that's time to get the kids up and get them ready for school. And I'll make them a smoothie and and you know, then you're off and running, and it's you know, right. you're at work and doing all the rat stuff. race begins. The rat race begins. So I do think it's that important. It's it's important to take a little bit of time. The other fun thing that I've been doing a little bit of, and I'm looking forward to more of this, is on the Peloton app. There's meditation sessions, mm. and that's been really fun to explore meditation. Just sit there five, ten, fifteen minutes, and to listen to the the, the process of. of thinking, you know, through whatever the topic is and, and maybe there's some, you know, interesting music in the background and it's been really calming. It's actually, that's not while you're riding though, right? Is it like after you're riding? Before or after. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I need every stimuli possible when I'm running, <laughs> listen to hard pounding music to keep me going on, yeah. the, on the streets. But it sounds like you're handling the, the solitude. Well, you already were before the pandemic, you know, authentically speaking, have there been any Worrisome times, though, or darker times, or any moments when you were kind of doubting our ability to come back from this. Has there been any of that with you? So, it's a really, it's a really great question because there is layers of uncertainty that we come across every day, and whether it is in the work environment or it is how am I going to deal with this at home, or perhaps there's something negative that happened to you financially or the news cycle is just so focused on, on, I I feel like so much negativity, which is really sad. I think when you take in too much of this 
type of content and really can start to, to weigh on you. Definitely. Like you're, you're one of the most optimistic guys I know. And people say I'm a, definitely a glass half full person, but it can devour your spirit. If you read the, the statistics, the trends, the forecasts on the negative side of, of the pandemic and then the economic, I, I became more concerned about the economic and I'll leave other experts at this, but I'm just saying for me and my emotions, I became more worried about the economic future than the health future about a month ago. And so that for me became like the dark space I wanted to stay out of mentally speaking, if that yeah. makes any sense. It's one of those situations where there's not a ton you can do about it. Right. It's this giant storm cloud that, that seems to, to gather steam. And you're just like, uh, is my umbrella big enough? Right. There's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. I, I was recently interviewed uh, on someone else's program and I was referring to Richard Rohr. Have you ever heard of this Franciscan monk, Richard Rohr? I'm not familiar with Richard Rohr. Well, I attended this conference with our mutual friend, Doug Holliday in Albuquerque, and he was speaking to those of us in business. He's a monk, he's a, a Catholic priest, but he enjoys talking to leaders. And so he was saying to us, and I think about it every single day, Ted, and it applies to this pandemic environment now. He said, the sooner you realize we're not doers, that we're actually done unto, the more relief you can get in knowing you can't control everything. And for me, a lot of us guys, we think we can affect everything. We, 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 we try to run our teams. We try to run our households. We fail at varying levels of both of those things, but we try to write memos or send texts and everyone listens to what we do. But I realize that we're being done unto now. And so I can only do my best in the spaces where I have any ability to pursue any sort of action. And the rest is beyond me. So I, I don't know how I got to this point in our conversation, but Richard Rohr's comments really helped me think about how to stay positive, I guess. So, so you know how you arrived at that, Adam? It's because... That is at the core of who you are. The mm -hmm. one thing you can control is to be nice, to be a good person, to help lift others. Mm -hmm. That is free. It takes little effort. <laughs> right. And it's something that has the best ROI of anything else that you can do. And that, Adam, is, is one of the things I love about you. You are one of just the nicest, most genuine, helpful, uplifting oh, people I know. And I think it's a great lesson for all of us. Thank you, Ted. And whether you go to the supermarket and you're irritated because you have to wear a mask for the 20 minutes that you're there, think about the checkout people who are working there and they are wearing a mask all day. And worse, like me, if they're wearing glasses, you're dealing with fogging glasses all day. So right. the best thing <laughs> we can do, because that's probably not a ton of fun, is you can walk up and you can say, hi, how are you? Hope you're having a great day. Right. It's that sort of thing that if we had more of that, if we had more people lifting people up online, we had more people lifting people up in person, mm -hmm. it would make all of this bizarreness that we're living in so much more tolerable. And it's so easy to do. Your kind and inspiring comments there perfectly lead into the next question I prepared for you. Do you ever think about who's watching you? Do you ever think about who you're role modeling for in addition to your children? Have you begun to think about legacy at all? This is, I know, not a common topic among people our age. We're only at maybe half time of our careers, but 
what, what do you think about legacy or who's watching you? So my, I, I, I had the most wonderful father. He passed away about 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really tried to lead my life living up to his ideals and his vision. And he was just a nice, loving person. And so when I think about my legacy, if I could just, if I could just make it over the line having been a good dad and raise two healthy, happy, successful kids, then to me, like, I'm winning. <laughs> mm. It's, for me, I, I'm not thinking about legacy from a name on a building or right. that sort of thing. It's more about, am I raising a good family? Am I doing things to help others? Am I, am I providing opportunity for people and maybe providing a, a good nugget of wisdom here and there? How do you think you're doing at that? I've, I've met your wife, but I've never met your kids. Like, for instance, if I was able to ask one of your children, what do you think is most important to your father? How do you think they'd answer that? I, I think without a doubt, they would both say family and spending time with the family. Awesome. Then mission accomplished. We're getting there. And we're really lucky in that our kids actually like to hang out with us. <laughs> What's your secret to that? I don't know if I, if I have a secret. I grew up that way. Okay. And so I think that that might be part of it. And I think, too, is just engaging with them and telling them that you love them and that you see them and mm-hmm. that they're part of the conversation. That just because we're adults, we know everything and we're going to do everything right like, no, they're living their life and they know different things and experiencing things in a different way. Sure. What are you most excited about beyond, again, this pandemic, which I believe will be temporary? I'm excited about the next generation of entrepreneurs who are going to come up with solutions for some of the world's biggest problems. And Mm -hmm. there's no way that that doesn't happen. And I think it's going to happen in a more accelerated manner now that we have gone through this period in time where, again, every business has now pivoted to be a digital business. So the amount of money I think you're going to see flowing into smart, substantial startups and ideas will be, I think, greater than it's ever been. The type of money being put into research and development around things like vaccines, I think, will accelerate by a huge rate. I think you're going to see a lot of hopefully countries and, and businesses understanding that things like climate change are real. Mm-hmm. There's going to be so many great ideas hatched in garages and, and classrooms around the world and young people coming into the market today saying, I'm going to be the one to solve whatever needs solving. And I think to me, that's super, super exciting. And, you know, Adam, some. 49 as well. You and I both lived through incredibly exciting times. And I think we ain't seen nothing yet. Well, that is a terrific note to end on. I share that enthusiasm for the future and the hopes we all have in the next level of entrepreneurship. I think this pandemic has accelerated change, as you've said quite articulately today. And whether it's accelerating change on the positive side, uh, or even on the negative side, I mean, Hertz going bankrupt, declaring bankruptcy. I mean, to me, that was like a, a brand as big as, I know it wasn't, but like Coca-Cola or Disney, to think that that company that survived World War II is um, now having to make significant changes. The 
mirror image of that or the inverse of that is the new opportunities in fintech or like you said, wellness. So it's very exciting to be um, in the global room, so to speak, during this time. Yeah, there's a lot going on and it'll be fun to play a role in it somewhere or another. Well, we're so glad you played a role in the Up To podcast, Ted. We're grateful for your time. I'm grateful for our relationship. And we hope that um, before too long, we can get together in person. But until then, thank you so much for giving us some of your wisdom today. It's an honor. It's great to catch up. And I look forward to doing it again in the future. Awesome, Ted. Thank you. I mentioned during our conversation with Ted that I consider him to be a tech futurist. That was my label, not his. And here are some of the trends that stood out to me in our conversation. One of them, taking risks with opportunities in tech are fantastic and necessary. Ted emphasized that it's actually riskier to not take risks in technology. I thought that was interesting. Also, his forecast that companies which can deliver on personal experiences will thrive in the future. Ted also said that apps that remove touch points, literal touch points, like touchless store checkouts, will continue to disrupt and grow. And the digital platforms that he talked about focusing on mental health and well-being, that those will become even more important and relevant with some staying power in the future for all of us. And Adam, if I can chime in for a moment. Yeah. And it's not specific to Ted, but he, like so many leaders we've interviewed, talked about getting up early, mm-hmm. starting the day strong, centering themselves. My favorite time of day. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Dave. I'd love to hear from you. Please email me at adam at uptofoundation.org. Suggest guests. Tell me what resonated with you. Even critique our producer, Dave Douglas. Whatever you want to tell us, let us know. Up To is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to our producer and audio engineer, Dave Douglas. I'm your host, Adam Kaufman, and thank you so much for listening to the Up To Podcast.